Welcome to Trowadrin Legends and Lore. Episode 25, Perloza. Well, hello and welcome again to Trollodon Legends and Lore. We're into the third season now, which is pretty amazing for me. I thank you guys for following along if you've been doing so since the beginning. And if you're just coming across this episode, feel free to take a look at the previous episodes in the previous seasons and see what's been uh, shared already if you like to learn more about the legends and lore of Trollodon, which is a fantasy world setting created for the purpose of just telling stories in various forms and formats, as we'll get into, I'm sure, in just a few minutes here. Wanted to kind of make you aware of what's going on. Obviously, we're in a new year. Happy 2022, by the way. Uh, Hopefully, it's going to be a bigger and better year than it was in the last couple of years. I'm looking forward to some positive developments there I can share in the near future. With that as well, we're doing some, I guess you can call it New Year cleaning or some updating and stuff with the podcast. I'm doing some tweaks and things which you might not necessarily notice on your end of the uh, headphones there, whatever you're listening to. But obviously, we've done some corrections and some updates with the introduction music, um, some processing things, again, some technical stuff I'm not going to get into, but I'll probably be doing some more tweaks and things along the way as I kind of get back into the the groove here as far as finding what works and doesn't work for uh, the episodes and the formatting and the structure and things like that. But for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be sharing more legends and lore about uh, Trollodon and the various aspects of it as far as historical and myths and legends and, and stuff like that. I did want to do a quick plug here for those who don't know. There is a website just for the world of Trollodon called Trollodon.com. You can go there and check out information about, it's kind of, it's an ongoing, I call it an ever-expanding website. It's updated periodically, at least once a month, but there's a lot of stuff on there as far as what's been put on there already. Sharing information about the world setting, whether it might be the land masses, the history, the culture of different races and people and things, the pantheon, and things like that. And again, there'll be more things added and expanded as we move forward into the rest of this year. So I'd encourage you to check it out if you're interested in learning more about Trowler and just maybe have a way to uh, augment what I'm talking about on these particular podcasts. So that being said, again, thank you for your support and help. I really do appreciate that. And I do want to kind of make it people aware I wasn't always the best at doing that in the last season, that there is a way to get a hold of me if you want to share information about the podcast. And that is at lore at chadcorey.com. That's L-O-R-E at chadcorey. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And I'm kind of curious to see where you're getting access to this podcast, where you're finding it. If you can share that, that would be great. Recently, uh, actually last year, we did some uh, updating as far as Word is also available as far as uh, new outlets and things like that, adding Amazon Music and Audible and a few other things kind of tied into that. So I think there has been, uh, hopefully, been a greater increase. I'm saying that now <laughs> as I record this a little bit earlier than 2022 to kind of get some things ahead of the curve here. But uh, I just wanted to just kind of curious to see where it's being reached, where people are getting connected to it and how they're kind of finding out about it in general. So if you want to send me a, a short email that way, kind of let me know where you're, you're listening to and what you're finding of interest to you. That would be beneficial. I'm also happy to answer questions or see if there's an opportunity where I can share some answers to the questions on the podcast. Or if you just want to share some feedback as far as like, you know, I like the new, like the new intro or like maybe you want to tweak this or that kind of thing, some information or things about 
what you're finding in urine. Maybe it's not coming through completely clear or you know processed the best way in your channel or your your uh, agitator, if whatever the name is there. That would be kind of helpful for me to know too to make some adjustments and kind of see where I need to do some tweaks if anything is needed. So, so that's lore, L-O-R-E, at chadcorey.com. So what are we going to do now in episode 25? That is a good question. Like I mentioned earlier at the top of the podcast, I'm going to be focusing on continuing what was already done in season two. And just because we have such a wide collection of deities in the Pantheon, I am going to continue exploring and sharing more about the various deities that comprise the Trilodrone Pantheon. We didn't get through the complete list last season, and so I want to finish that up. And then I wanted to also include some of what you guess you can call cultic or extra divine characters, shall we say, that are part of the larger cosmos as far as options for, for worship and cults and things like that. But they're not necessarily officially sanctioned religions. As I said, they're, they're more or less cults. And so I wanted to share more about that because they're, those characters will be and have been playing a part in the overall history of the uh, not just the world setting, but also the, the greater cosmos as a whole. And so it's probably a good time to introduce them to you guys as well, at least to the extent I'm able to on these podcasts. And those will be coming up once I get the remaining people in the Pantheon uh, presented, which should be hopefully by the middle of the year, but we'll see how things progress and where we go from there. And I think that is going to be the basic update. So again, check out the website, chadcorey.com, for more information about books and upcoming things and events and stuff like that, as well as uh, social media. I'm at Crater Chad, and you can follow along and see what else is going on as well. So what we're going to talk about today is Perloza. She is one of the second generation gods, basically. And she has a unique history all her own. And as I did in the last season with the introduction of the gods, I'm going to be using the same kind of format, introducing some various components and talking a little bit about them in general. But first of all, who is Perloza? She is the daughter of Cuthon and Asora, which also makes her the sister of Remenas. She's the cousin to Casilla and Darian and Cheryl, and she is one of the Grey Gods. So basically, some of her titles include the Ice Goddess, Mistress of the Waves, Shaper of the Moon, and the Queen of Frost. And her symbol is called the Silver Crest. It is a full moon display in black with a silver crescent moon overlaid on top. And whenever it's used in banners or in similar displays, the background behind the two moons is, is a sea green or a snowy white type of color, with the symbol also being carved into silver white marble ivory or quartz medallions, the two moons being carved one on top of the other in a mixture of kind of a, a relief or a relief carving. And all of this, this pendant it forms is connected by a strap or cord, and that medallion is used for the uh, the priest to use for their kind of symbol of office or faith or as the other religions have been using as well. Obviously, if you haven't guessed it by now from the books or other things that I've been reading, she is the goddess of ice, the moon, snow, and water, and her main realm is uh, Nadia. It's basically a combination of ice and water and snow and kind of water in all its various forms as well as a lunar aspect to it as well. Some of her allies, which are very <laughs> far and few between, if you know her or you'll know about her shortly here, are the Lords of Ice and the Lords of Water. She doesn't really have anything really necessarily outside of that. And even in, within the Grey God, she's kind of, I don't want to say the odd 
on God is out, but she is not necessarily, uh, how would we say, well-received, or she, I mean, she's more tolerated than celebrated, if you will. And she does have some enemies, obviously, which you probably would expect for someone who's not necessarily too well-received, her biggest one being her own brother, Remenos, which is kind of unfortunate, but that's kind of how it worked out. And she's rather indifferent uh, to other people, and has a strong dislike for Indarian and for Shirill, but she's not necessarily as hostile toward Shirill as she is for Indarian. Um, yes, again, she she isn't necessarily outright hostile to anyone else, but again, she's not not necessarily well received by the rest of the pantheon. That's because she has this kind of unique attitude that developed in her life, and she doesn't wasn't always the ice queen, if we want to call her that, that she is today. In fact, she was more of a warm, engaging, friendly, fun-loving type of personality, but there was a challenge that came about in her life, which I'm not going to get into a great deal of detail yet because I don't want to spoil the the information that ties into it in some future stories and works, but it caused her to basically close off herself from a lot of previous friends, connections, relationships, and develop a more anti-emotional, cold type of personality that contributed to her taking on more, maybe, shall we say, of the element of ice when she took it on and brought that into her her realm, whereas previously she was involved only with the water aspect or cosmic element of water. So by doing that, she used that as an excuse in a way to kind of freeze herself from external relationships and emotional displays and became more of a enclosed, cold type of type of personality. Now, does that mean she is always that way? No, she she has her moments where she breaks out once in a while, or there's little cracks in the icy facade that allow us to peek at what lies beneath. But for the most part, she has decided to kind of cut herself off from her family and friends and kind of just develop her own her own universal reality of what she thinks needs to be done and how she needs to live her life. And for the most part, everyone has kind of left her alone to do that. And that's kind of where we are now with the situation. But obviously her followers and her people that support her, her priests and things, are known to not necessarily know where she is every given day. She can have emotional uh, changes. She can have mood changes throughout her her encounter with people. She has a very fluid form of interaction, let's say that. (laughs) So she's... She's easily offended or upset sometimes, or she could be very supportive in the next moment. It's just a, an up and down kind of thing, which her followers have some, kind of tied to the aspect of the moon changing cycles and the waves kind of going up and down. And that is just, they, they take it all in, in you know one lump sum there. You're just understanding she's going to be this way sometimes, and sometimes it'll change. You don't really know what's going to set her off or help her. So in some ways it's kind of like walking in eggshells if you're her priest trying to make her happy and stay happy and, and stay within her good graces but on the other hand she does benefit and she is rather loyal and supportive of those that support and, and advocate her causes her aspect as far as how she's portrayed on the, the Trilodon and elsewhere by followers and such is more or less like a pale uh, breathtaking maiden she's often uh, human or elven in form although Obviously, if there's a more dominant racial group in a certain area, like like all gods, she'll tend to have a certain element of that tied into her. She's sometimes flanked by dolphins, and sometimes she stands on a crescent moon. 
when she's found in more northern or colder climate, she takes on more of a regal-looking princess wrapped in fur-trimmed cloaks with rich gowns and the like. Sometimes she's even crowned with an icicle-like tiara. Obviously, the further north you go, she takes on more of a cold aspect, snow and ice kind of thing in the Northlands especially. For those more in the southern area, she's more of a water, maybe even a, a tropical water type of deity. And then, of course, universally, there's the moon, the lunar aspect that ties into things as well. So she kind of she has a wide swath, shall we say, of reception and perception across the planet and even across the the pantheon. However, her real form, she stands about 14 feet tall. She has icy white hair that flows down to the middle of her back, and she has pale blue eyes. And she's what you call, I guess, a cold beauty. But she has that, that, that selfish kind of quality about her that, again, that kind of froze into her, which makes her look like the quintessential ice princess. But she's always dressing in, in, in splendorous garb, satins and silks and white and blue shades. And she really likes to wear jewelry that contains silver, diamonds, lapis lazuli, emeralds, and other shades of precious stones that remind people of snow, water, ice, ocean, seas things like that. She doesn't really wear gold or anything brassy, She's preferring to wear silver and uh, things of that nature that kind of reflect more the cold elements of what she is uh, enveloped into her personality in person. One unique aspect to her call to fame, which people don't often know, it's not really widely known, is that she had a hand in creating the first vampires on Trollodrin. Now, vampires are not necessarily something that is a common day thing that goes on, at least with the modern day books and publications that have come out so far. But there was a period of time where vampires did exist on Trollodon and were kind of quite a nuisance. And she had a hand in creating the very first one. She actually cursed the individual uh, with the curse of vampirism for what they did against her and her lover at the time. And again, I'm not going to get into more detail on that because there's actual a couple stories that I've written that I'll be putting out hopefully not too distant future, that talk more about that. But what she did by doing that was open up a whole big peg of terrible awfulness that took on this larger-than-life uh, destruction and death and stuff that plagued the almost the entirety of the planet for many, many centuries. And it was only until, you know, uh, several centuries following that that it was finally resolved. People thought they were done with it. But again, she had a hand in creating that that process there. As far as what her ultimate goals and direction are, being a gray god on the, the gray god group, she's not really necessarily on one extreme or the other, if you want to call them that, on the divine philosophy. She walks more the middle line, and it kind of suits her well since she's more of that selfish personality in general. But depending upon where she is in history, you're going to see different goals and agendas and even different things she wants to accomplish where you are regionally throughout all of Trollodon and even the larger cosmos. Her ultimate goal, obviously, she wants to have more control and influence over the planet, over people. She wants to have more of a place and a, a presence among the population that she hasn't had uh, a lot of times. She's kind of been segregated, like I said, to more of the Northlands or different segments of the southern or other coastal areas or sailors or things like that, which is good. It's a consistent worshiper base, but it's something she wants to branch out from and gain more notoriety and more power influence, especially when she's trying to rival her brother and other gods in the pantheon for greater control and influence. 
And to do that, she will need a religion and followers. So let's talk a few minutes about who follows Proloza. Basically, they are called Prolozans. And they have more, like we mentioned, more of a nautical outlook on life for the most part. They could be sailors, they can make their livelihood or residence near their waves, or they often hold her in high esteem if there's a colder climate or, or things of that nature. Although she does have some temples scattered throughout, as I said, parts of Trilodron. Her holy text is called Lunarium, and it is a silver-colored pearl-studded book. Now, obviously, like many sacred tomes or scriptures, you're not necessarily going to have this sitting around your house. This is something more or less that the priests and places of like a shrine or a temple would have access to it, not necessarily the common individual. And her priests typically worship her uh, in various ways and formats as prescribed by the Lunarium, and again, based upon what region you're in and all the different uh, flavors that they seek to subscribe to, adhere to her worship. She does have three different sects that we know of that are broken down into various formats of worship. The first is Crestorians. They are more or less given to her, holding to her as a lady of the rivers, lakes, streams, oceans, seas, and other bodies of water. They focus, that's their primary focus of, of worship. Then you have the Ymirians who hold to the Jotun-only form of worship. They are the uh, frost giants of the northern area, the Northlands, and that's obviously... It's more of a religion based upon her as the goddess of snow and ice, but also kind of a patron deity of the frost giants. And then you have the Daughters of the Moon, which is more of a mystical sect that allows only females, and they worship her as, obviously, kind of a secretive type of society tied to the moon and the various cycles and more of the feminine mystique and other things tied into that as well. Again, it based upon how they perceive the goddess and how they want to worship her or what she allows them to worship her as. And of course, this, these sects are just part of the whole overall religion. There's a general concept of the religion as well. So you have different flavors and forms, like I said, of how she is perceived and worshipped. No matter how she's worshipped, though, not everyone is a big gung-ho supporter of Perlose. I mean, they, they tolerate her, they accept her, because in many cases they see her as kind of a natural element, you know, water, snow, moon, things like that, but it's not necessarily your first goddess you think of when you need help. Oh, I'm going to go to Perloza. I'm going to ask for her help. So she's kind of kind of kept to the people that really just want to get to her for various reasons, and as we mentioned earlier. And so I think with that, we've covered just the general gist of who she is, what she's about. Again, I'd like to share more, but I just don't want to share too much with sharing out, you know, giving spoilers for other things that'll be forthcoming, hopefully this year and even into next year. So that is that for this particular episode on Perloza. Thank you for listening. Feel free to check out the other podcasts I do as well. We'll go to chatcory.com and see what else is coming out every month. There's something new and good and exciting you can take advantage of. And don't forget that website, trollerin.com. You can find out more information and maybe learn some more information about Perloza and the rest of the gods as well. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.